We've been talking about uh, the miracle life, miracle life of Christ. You know, in miracle life, uh, I like how Kenneth Hagin defined miracle. Miracle is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. A divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. So ordinarily, things would go this way. Ordinarily, you might have to uh, be afraid of sickness and disease your whole life. Ordinarily, you might um, go crazy. <laughs> Ordinarily, you might not have enough to meet your needs. But uh, when you're born again, that's the greatest miracle on earth. And uh, when Christ came and he crossed that void, he made a connection between death forever and life forever. And he became that bridge for us to walk across. He became the bridge for us to walk through. So we're studying on the miracle life. And turn with me if you have your Bibles with you or a, a mobile device to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read, start out with verses 1 through 8. The former letter have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel, uh, to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, they beheld and they looked, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Uh, of course, one of the most awesome passages of Scripture, I think they're really all pretty awesome because God inspired the whole Word of God. <laughs> one that we connect with, that we see, and we're, we're um, amazed at, really. And as we said in the first, I think it was the first week we started this series, one of the best ways to grow in God is to Look at the Word of God and receive the Word of God like you've never seen it before. So God wrote a letter to you and to me, to you and to me. And as we approach the Word that way and say, this is God speaking to me, and he said, but you're going to receive power, like personally. So say, I'm going to receive power. After the Holy Ghost comes on me and I'll be a witness to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. So you kind of see like the importance of receiving this power because Jesus said these words. It's in the book of Acts, but it's in red, right? So somebody did our work for us. So we know Jesus said these words. Uh, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. After the Holy Ghost comes on you, you will receive power and be witnesses. So I think sometimes we get intimidated because maybe the Holy Ghost hasn't come upon us. So you have uh, one initial infilling of the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You have this initial infilling, like we see here, tongues of fire actually uh, came upon the 120 in the upper room when the Holy Ghost was first poured out. But then 
we, we see uh, that Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit of God, speaking. And we talked a little, a little bit about that last week. Like I was flying over Detroit and saw the cargo ships, and you know, they're like filling these cargo ships with grain. And, you know, they have, uh, I'm not a shipping guy, but I think I'd love to do like a tour on one of those big ships because they have the, all the markings on the bow of the ship so you can see the depth. So I know when they're filling those, they'll look at the depth and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the water till it reaches its maximum amount. And as I was flying over, I can't remember if it was while I was flying or afterwards, but I was kind of, I guess I was meditating on this scripture. And the thought came, that's being filled. Like, not like, okay, I just went to the gas station, filled my car with gas, now it's full. No, it's like you have this, <clears throat> I was in the Air Force, so it's like you have this tanker in the air that's constantly connected, and when you're connected, uh, you know, say it's like an F-16, they're flying, so is the tanker. Well, they're being filled, they're hooked up, they're being filled. So that's how we're supposed to live, being filled. Uh, you know, pray continually. Well, how does that happen? Well, um, you know, there's many things you could say about prayer, and this is not a message on prayer. But when you pray, to pray continually, it's have a lifestyle of prayer, an attitude of prayer. You're always about prayer, so you're always connected. Brother Higgins used to tell us, he said, you know, if you have to pray through, okay, but you're really kind of in a backslidden state if you have to pray through. And he said, you know, there, there are certain situations where you'll approach a situation, and you need to pray until you get a note of victory, particularly when you're praying in other tongues. Because you're praying about things you don't know about, divine secrets. So you pray till you get a note of victory. And if that's what we mean by praying through, that's fine. But sometimes when people talk about praying through, they're talking about, i got to get over so that I feel born again again. That I feel this way or that way. Well, what we're to do is pray constantly. Prayer is communication with God. And so we're, we're to have this constant connection and uh, communion really with the Lord. And we do that through the word and through prayer. So you receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Our job is to put ourselves in a position where we're being filled. You know, it says be being filled speaking. And so when you're filled, you're going to speak. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So you're going to be speaking the things of God. You're going to be speaking things that pertain to the Word of God. You're going to be speaking things that are inspired of God. Have you ever, like, said something? You're like, oh, where did that come from? But you just knew as soon as it came out of your mouth and landed on the other person that you were talking to, whoa. I don't know if they know that, but there was power in those words. And, you know, like we said, when you lay hands on someone and you see them recover in the name of Jesus... It's not because your hand is anything special. And it's really not because you're anything special, except for we're all Christ in the earth. And so that makes us very special. But apart from Christ, we're not really that special. Now, we're loved because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. And in fact, if you go backwards in that verse, you see like, because he loved us so much. In the world, we were still sinners. He died for us. So the devil and the world, and sometimes ourselves, will want to tell us that God will love us when we're doing things right, when we're perfect, when we're righteous. But God says, no, I love you when you're unrighteous so that you can be righteous, so that you can become not only a Tim's righteousness or your righteousness or your righteousness, but you can become my righteousness in Christ Jesus.
So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we're on um, uh, response. What does it mean to respond? Uh, we have uh, the miracle life. Jesus is our model, and he's our inspiration. And then how do we respond to the gospel? Because we do have a great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. What does it mean to respond? Uh, we, we, I'm going to hopefully finish the second half of this message today. The first week uh, of this message, we talked about uh, response means to feel what Jesus felt. Number two, to see what Jesus saw. Number three, understand his mission. Number four, value what Jesus paid. And number five, realize his trust in us. Six, comprehend our part in the program. And seven, assume our role as his co-worker. So, uh, you know, and the theme question for the, uh, this lesson is, what brings out God's best in us? And it's understanding the plan of God and that the plan of God depends on us. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a heavy statement that we pass over super easily. But God is counting on you and God is counting on me to do what he wants to do. He's up there in heaven and has all of these great plans and ideas, just like he had before Christ came to the earth. You know, he saw how it must have hurt his heart to see how mankind was living. Uh, and, um, you know, the last couple of days we were kind of talking about this, that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days when the Son of Man comes. But you look at the days of Noah and you look kind of uh, at our days, how um, lost people are. When I say lost, I don't just mean like not born again. Of course, that affects everything else. But just like looking for significance, looking for value, looking for something and... Um, you see people wandering around aimlessly. Well, while we were in that condition, God saw that condition before it even occurred in any man or any woman and said, I got a plan, and he sent Christ. But when Jesus left the earth and he ascended right here, we just read in Acts chapter 1, he actually said in John, it's better for you that I go away. You know, and we were, <laughs> you, you, you can be around people and um, sometimes you rely on them too much. So I know when we travel with uh, Brother Hagen, what an amazing opportunity. What an amazing man of God for like 69 and three quarters years, faithful, preaching the word, uh, mightily used of God, a great, um, really, prophet in the body of Christ. And uh, then he went to heaven, what we thought was quite suddenly, you know, he was 86, so he was of age, but uh, he went to heaven quite suddenly. Well, what happens then in that situation? Like, you know, we're on the traveling team. Everybody's like, you know, the thought is, well, what are we going to do now? Brother Hagin's gone. Well, Brother Hagin was not Jesus. But imagine if the Savior of the world came and you traveled with him, and you didn't understand all the things that we have in the epistles because you didn't have the epistles because you didn't write them yet. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know what? It's better for you that I leave. And you're like, no, not really. <laughs> I know you're really wise, and there's pretty much everything that I say that I think is the right way. You correct me and say, no, that's not the right way, but still, I think you're wrong on this one. <laughs> that, can't be, that can't be any better. But yet he said it's better. So they must have, like, thought on those words and thought, he said it's better, and then he rose from the dead, and now he's in heaven. And he said, it's better for you that I go away. 
I know I would have. Like, what do you mean better? I would have like been turning that over and trying to figure out. He said it's better. If he said it's better, he's not a liar, so I know it's true. And of course, he amplified a little bit and said, you know, because then the Holy Spirit can't come. So they're in the upper room waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, it's going to be better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because if I go, if I don't go, he can't come. So they're uh, anticipating and waiting and looking. So that's really how we're supposed to be, anticipating, waiting, and looking. I think most people here are already filled with the Spirit, so we've been filled with the Spirit. But then in every situation of life, you know, I was watching a video last night, and this, this uh, guy, is the Lord uses him a lot to evangelize people, and he said, you know, I'm just, see that crowd of people over there? He said, ooh, I'm praying, and the Lord just told me who I'm supposed to talk to, who I'm supposed to start with to tell him about Jesus. Walks right up to this woman, starts telling her about Jesus, and she just immediately, like, she's like, not immediately, but within like probably 30 seconds, she kind of tears up, and she's, she's like, yeah, I want Christ. And so she prays the prayer of salvation, and then the next person there, and so on and so forth. But we're to rely on the Spirit of God and expect Him to speak to us and expect Him to speak through us and expect Him to send us different places to this one, that one, over here, over there. We have to have this uh, attitude of expectation. If you expect to receive from God, you'll receive. Uh, to the godly, I think the Bible says all things are godly. So a lot of times you can get like in a group of... <laughs> this is funny. You get with a group of sophomoric people. So we heard somebody this week say the word sophomoric, and my wife was asking me, what does sophomoric mean? And I said, well, it's kind of like immature or whatever, but I said, let's look it up. And so we look it up, and... Um, I don't think the people using the term really understood what it means, but it kind of means like uh, conceited uh, and immature in a conceited sort of way. Like, I know everything, and, uh, you know, I'm immature, and I'm proud of it. But they really don't know. Like, the definition of sophomoric means you really uh, don't know, and you're full of pride and conceited. Anyhow. Uh, so it's, it's funny how you use words, and you don't realize what you're saying. So, I uh, did not mean to get off on that. <laughs> but uh, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it takes away like immaturity. It takes away things that you uh, maybe would not have done. I, I, like Pastor Mark's dad says, you know, if you listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll make you look smart. So you don't really have to have like all the smarts. What you have to have is a connection with God and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we just yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to use us and to speak through us, uh, we can do things beyond anything we could ever learn, beyond anything we could ever be taught, because the Spirit of God knows all things. In fact, the Spirit of God knows the future. The Spirit of God knows what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. He knows, like, you know, about the stock market and what's going to happen with the stock market. And he knows about uh, the presidential race and what's going to happen with the presidential race. The Spirit of God knows these things. And I would say, more importantly, uh, to me personally, the Spirit of God knows what's happening in your life and in your heart and my life and my heart 
and those that I want to reach for Jesus. So he can penetrate all of that, all of that stuff. And in Western culture, sometimes I think we focus on how can I get more money? How can I get more friends? How can I get more of this? It's kind of self-centered, can be self-centered. And uh, the Spirit of God can help in every situation. And I think in my own life, with raising my children, how many times I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And uh, stop and pray, and then all of a sudden the Lord will say, you know what? You need to uh, help this child with this. Tell them this. This is what they need to be doing. I was just praying like in the middle of something else. And the Lord said to me about one of my sons uh, about a week and a half ago, tell him he needs to do this. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. And, um, you know, um, a minister down in Lakeland, Florida, I remember he came when we were in um, Tulsa going to Bible school, and he came and ministered several times. And one of the times he ministered, he said uh, he had gotten up at like 3 in the morning and was pacing back and forth, and they were having trouble with one of their kids. And uh, as I actually wasn't pacing back and forth, he got up to go to the bathroom. And so he's on his way to the bathroom. He said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord told him, you know, I won't say his son's name, but your son is susceptible to drugs. Watch him and pray for him. So he was able to, before it even happened, pray his son through the potential drug addiction and drug interaction because he listened to the Spirit of God. Well, he said when the, the Lord told him that, he had no idea that that was going to be a temptation for his son. But thank God for the Holy Ghost who shows you things that you don't even know about. And we, you know, we talked, I think, the last couple of weeks of a few other examples where the Spirit of God will inspire you to pray. I think of the one where the father uh, was... 5.30 in the morning going to feed the cows and uh, just the spirit of God arrested him and he went in the kitchen floor and just fell on the floor and he knew it was something to do with his daughter who was a missionary overseas and he ended up praying for her and she was on her deathbed and she recovered after many hours praying in the Holy Spirit. He didn't know the exact situation but he just yielded to the spirit of God and sometimes we feel like we have to know everything we don't have to know everything. We just have to know kind of one thing, that he knows everything. <laughs> and that when we connect to him, he can take care of all of those details that we may be aware of or we may not be aware of. And I would say many times it can be better if you don't know all the details because uh, if you know, I, I have a friend that um, was a paramedic uh, over in Europe. And uh, healing was one of the harder things for him to grab hold of. Because he knew so much of these is going to last side. Like, this is what you do. This is, you know, this is how you fix this situation. Or, you know, this disease is going to last this long. People die at this age. Well, it's, it's um, not bad to know without the divine intervention of God what can happen in a body and what happens. And, you know, bodily ex exercise profits a little. It does say it profits. So you want to keep healthy and do what you need to do. But where we kind of can get tripped up is if we ever put man's wisdom above God's wisdom. It's kind of the other way around. And um, so he had a, a bigger struggle learning. So again, what do we talk about? How do you get something that you're like, okay, I'm really not there. You grab hold of the word of God 
And you let that word turn over in your spirit again and again and again. And you do that by meditating in the word. Joshua 1.8, you know, says this book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. And uh, just a little total side journey. When we traveled with Brother Hagen for the last two years, he was here on the earth. I can't remember how many times he would teach on that verse when it, concerning prosperity. People say, like, well, I, I want to prosper, so, you know, I'm going to sow more or give more. Well, there's that side of prosperity. But he said, number one thing, you meditate in this book of the law, in the word of God. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. Um, you'll have good success. So if you want to have good success as a preacher, if you want to have good success as a business person, if you want to have good success as an IT technician, if you want to have good success um, in whatever area you have as a stay-at-home mom, you meditate in the Word of God. Don't let it depart out of your mouth, meaning it's always coming out of your mouth. And we started out talking about prayer Fellowshipping with the word is fellowshipping with God. These are the words of God. This is the will of God. And so as you fellowship with the word of God, you're fellowshipping with the will of God, and you're fellowshipping with the presence of God if you're doing it right. I've had times, you know, all of us have, if you're living in a flesh body, where you're like reading the word and you're like, this is like not alive. So I just like pray, like, okay, Lord, I'm going to receive this like it's you speaking to me right now. Your word is alive and, uh, alive and full of life. And for me, personally, whenever uh, I feel my hunger for the word waning, I read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, but one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. It talks about how the word of God is sweeter than honey to your mouth. It's more precious than thousands or millions of gold and silver. And... Uh, the thing is, when you get a hold of the Word of God and you look at the Word of God on a subject, it affects you. So I really initially started reading Psalms 119 unconsciously led by the Spirit of God. All I knew was, man, I actually kind of experimented with it, but I wasn't consciously like planning to do any of this. I would kind of read, and I'd be so hungry for the Word, and like, oh, I can't, like, I can't put it down. And then, you know, the hunger would sort of wane, and I was and then I'd be like, I'm going to read Psalm 119 again because I like how it talks about the word, you know. So I'd read it, and then after, sure enough, after like two or three days, like this, like you're just so hungry for the word, hungry for the word. Well, the Lord led me into that. And, you know, then you start to see with healing, with prosperity, with witnessing, that you want to take scriptures that cover what you're um, struggling with or cover a direction that you feel like you should be going by hearing and those into you and get those alive and active in you. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.17 says. And Romans 10.17 literally says, uh, in today's English version, I think it is, that faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So the reason people don't have uh, success is they're not acting on the word they know, or they don't have knowledge of the word to act on. So as soon as you have knowledge in that area, you can act on it. So Psalm 119 talks about how wonderful the word is, really how perfect the word is. One of my favorite verses there talks about that as far as the east is to the west, the perfection of the word of God has no end. So you can go and how everything else, all other perfection has an end. Like you can make this, somebody could build this amazing car 
a couple weeks ago, I was on a business trip and we had a little uh, misunderstanding. <laughs> so the reservation messed up and then the system let me reserve a car apparently when there was no car. So they gave me a Camaro convertible or a convertible Camaro. I don't know how you want to say it, but it's a Camaro that was a convertible. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, this is a nice car. And um, I used to have, when I lived out here in the mid-90s, I used to have a Dodge Stealth little sports car. Had a lot of fun with it. Drove way too fast. And, uh, but honestly, this is going to be a little embarrassing. Now that I have children and I drive a lot, I kind of enjoy the minivan because you can see around. You can look and see and everything. And like... <laughs> Uh, when it works, you can push the button and the door's open for the kids and it's got everything built in. And I called my wife and I didn't like the small little interaction we had with the rental place. And so I'm driving the car uh, to the place I was staying and I'm sitting like so low and I can't see. Like, I'm like, and I had the hood open because they had the hood open. So I thought, well, I'll just drive it home that way. It was a nice day. And uh, I'm trying to like look to pass it. I'm like, you can't see anything. And the, there's no roof even that I can't see. And uh, so anyhow, the whole point of saying that was you can have like the nicest new car, the nicest new whatever. What happens after you've had it for like 30 days? It doesn't seem nearly as nice as like, and you can like clean it up and everything. It can be like, but it's just like, it's not brand new anymore. And so the perfection of it has an end. And, uh, you know, you can even uh, look at almost anything that man can create. And it's almost like the second that you create it, it begins to get old. That's especially true with electronics. Like once you get it, it's already like an out-of-date model because the next one's coming out in two to six months. So my friends get new phones and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm going to have a newer phone than you in six months, but then you'll have a newer phone than me. But the perfection of it has an end. It's like, this is perfect. This is great. And then all of a sudden, you know, you like want to go on and like add like, can you add this feature? Can you add that feature? Well, the word of God has no end to its perfection. So when we look at a situation, if we can always bring the word of God into, into our situation or bring the word to someone else's situation, if we're ministering to someone else, then we know this has no rust in it. It has no decay. Another verse in Psalm 119 talks about how the word has been purified or refined and found to have no impurities. So there's like no impurities in the word of God. If we always go back to the word of God, we have the best standard that never passes away. So we talked about you know, different things that response means and how we respond to the command that Jesus gave and why we can respond and why we should respond. So the reason is because if he gave us a mandate, he's not uh, unjust. He's a just God. And we know that because his word will never pass away because you can see, like, I wish I hadn't looked at this before this week, but how many prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus Christ? And the probability statistics, if you've ever done a study on it, it's really interesting, like how like the odds for one person to fulfill all of that, it's impossible. But it's not because it's beyond the ordinary course of nature. It's a miracle. It was prophesied. The Holy Spirit moved upon the prophets of old to write the word of God and to prophesy about Christ's coming. 
So showing things to come, like thousands of years ahead of time, because it's orchestrated by God outside of time. So we have a mandate from Christ. Let's talk about six things that that mandate is. A mandate really doesn't say like, there's a mandate coming from the CEO, so if you'd like to uh, abide by it, you may or you may not. That's not really the choice, (laughs) unless you're like, the choice is you can abide by this mandate or you can find a new position, (laughs) right? So it's a mandate. It's a command. And Jesus gave us a command, go into all the world, preach the gospel. So the number one, his mandate is Mark eleven twenty two. Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. Have the faith of God. Uh, we've said before, any situation you don't know what to do, here's the answer, Mark eleven twenty two. Just write Mark eleven twenty two down in the front of your Bible or somewhere, and if you don't know what to do, look at it and then go read it, meditate on it, and do it. Have faith in God. Uh, You know, I was, when the Lord talked to me about my son, I was, you know, thinking about him and then praying about him, and uh, the Lord said um, this answer. So what I did is I had faith in God. I was looking to the Lord, like, okay, what do do I do in this situation? How do we conquer this? Because um, what we've been instructing him to do and, uh, you know, what we thought's best to do doesn't seem to be working out too well. (laughs) So... What do I do? Have faith in God. So I'm not going like, to like, say, okay, Lord, I, I just release him to you. I don't really know what to do. I thought you know, we were doing the right thing, and I've prayed about it before, so I'm not really sure what's happening. Sure enough, immediately, boom. You know, this, is what, this is what he needs to do. And um, so number one, have faith in God. We have a mandate to believe the word of God. We as believers are mandated to believe the word of God. Number two, to receive his power and promise. Luke 24, 49, And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So uh, to fulfill his mandate, we have to believe the word and receive his power. So we have faith in God, that no matter what's happening, he knows better. And I, we mentioned last week, you know, that team of people that I went to kind of learn from and see what they were doing when they were uh, witnessing. Number one thing that the gentleman brought out was white. For faith people, Jesus said, the harvest is already white. It's already ripe. It's already ready to go. So when I approach someone, I'm expecting them to fall like a ripe cherry off a tree, right? As soon as I speak the word, because how can they know unless they hear the word spoken? So we come with that kind of faith. Number three, what is Christ's mandate? Well, it's it's Acts chapter one, verse eight. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and be witnesses unto me, to be a witness. Actually, I think the Greek literally says witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you study that out, you'll find that a witness is someone by how they live their life that shows what they've experienced. So a witness to the 9-11 attack from New York City 
is probably going to live their life a little differently than someone from California that wasn't even connected with it, uh, that wasn't as greatly affected by it. So when we look at the Word of God, we look that Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away, the Holy Spirit won't come, but when He's come, He'll show you all things, He'll lead you into all truth. Well, how do we let that affect us? Your life has changed forever. Number four, uh, what is Christ's mandate? To share his gospel with all the world. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Sometimes we can look and uh, be a little embarrassed because you can feel like Jonah sometimes. Like, okay, the gospel is for everyone, but I don't like this group of people. No, the gospel is for every creature. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter uh, how you've mutilated yourself or changed yourself. The gospel is for every creature in all the world. Number five, what's Christ's mandate? To seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. Remember, he's our example, he's our model. We're to do the same thing. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came in to seek and to save that which was lost. So, same thing for us. You know, he said, the healthy are not in need of a physician, but the sick. And when we look at people that receive the gospel quickly and easily, it's people that kind of know that they need something. So, you know, Jesus talked about the difficulty in a rich man getting into heaven. Well, even the rich young ruler wouldn't give up all of his stuff to gain way more than anything that was worth. So a lot of times um, people trust in uncertain riches, not in the living God. So we came, he came to seek and save that which was lost. We want to approach people and when we talk to them and interact with them, knowing that anyone that's without Christ should be hungry for the Lord and is ready to receive. And if people are not ready to receive, then, you know, we just move on. It's really not on us. Our job is just to preach the gospel and say, you know what? You look like you need hope. Do you need hope? How is everything going? Jesus offers hope. Jesus offers life. Jesus offers um, freedom from all of your addictions and freedom from all of the things that are holding you back. You know, this um, video I was watching last night, they, um, it's from an area where I used to, where I grew up, actually, where I used to live, and um, work with a local, have a little revival going on there, and this um, team of people that go in, they go in and they work with the local pastors and churches and get them to uh, spread the gospel and uh, preach the gospel, and um, the, one of the videos I saw is just one of the places, they've done this at several businesses, what they have done is they've gone to the businesses and said, hey, why don't you let us come in to your business and have a meeting with all of your staff? So they go into these factories and different businesses, and um, they'll work better after we are here. So one of the businesses decided they're going to try this. And so they, you know, I saw one of the notes last night, and, you know, they said basically, uh, I would, we have a, this team coming in, and I would encourage you on your break to go and uh, do this. You're not required, it's not mandatory, but there's gonna be like free donuts and drink, you know, um, was it Powerade and water and some other kind of uh, those type of drinks there. Well, these business owners said after these people come in, 
and a bunch of their staff are born again, and they teach on working like unto the Lord, that their business just skyrocketed. This one guy wrote the note. He said, you know, he was very frank. He was the head of the company. He said, you know, we have been, you know, as you know, we have been experiencing lack of business and lack of funding, and we're just on the edge, and we don't really know what to do. I feel like we're supposed to have these people in. And then we had them in, and now we have more jobs than what we can handle. So the life of Christ is, is, the, is life the way that God meant mankind to live it. So that's going to affect every part of uh, our realm. So it's going to affect our business. So the business is more blessed because the people in the business are born again and acting like it. Yeah. <laughs> I had to add that. Because faith without works is dead faith. So we have a, a living faith that's, that is alive. Number six, what is Christ's mandate? To love a hurting world. Mark 25, 40. Insomuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. So we have number one, to believe the word of God. Number two, to receive his power and promise. Number three, to be his witness. Number four, to share his gospel with all the world. Number five, to seek and save the lost. And number six, to love a hurting world. So that means that if we're going to love a hurting world, we don't go with a mindset or a thought that I'm so much better than you because I'm a Christian. No, we go with the mind of Christ, which says... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we take that same love that he showed towards us and we show it towards others. Because what do we have that we haven't received? Nothing. We have received uh, everything from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And we're to bring his love to the world, just like Christ did that. Many times at our own sacrifice and expense. So, like, the Lord provides for us, takes care of us, but uh, you have to give up some of the, I would like to do this, I would like to do this, I would like to do this or have this, to go out and reach the lost. I just know that because uh, Christ laid aside his mighty power and glory and became as a man to reach us. And Paul said, I know how to be content in every state I find myself. Sometimes I have, whoa, all this abundance, and sometimes, you know, I've just got this little bit. But in all of God and have I've learned to be content. So if we want to just take in all the blessings of God and have them for ourselves and our family and, you know, spend all of our time uh, at the mall or at the amusement park or uh, camping and just be unto ourselves... We're not really living the life of Christ. But what's awesome about the life of Christ is God said, not only did I save you from hell and give you my life and nature, but I delivered you from every sickness and every disease. I delivered you from poverty and lack and from all the power of the devil. So you can go to the mall and go camping and go to the amusement park and be Christ where you're at. So it's kind of like, well, what's your goal, what's your intention, what's your life? Christ's life, uh, he ministered so much 
Yeah, he ministered in synagogues, but he ministered on the street corners everywhere he went. And you see, like, the Christ life just kind of came out always in every situation. So he was doing those things, and he was, he was happier than anybody else, the Bible says. So I know he's having a good time. I see him playing with the kids and doing all these type of things. So he's involved, but you realize in his involvement, he's looking to give, 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 give. God's love so much that he gave. So in our involvement with our daily lives, we should never just like, okay, I'm a Christian now, so I cut everything else off. But I'm a Christian now. Uh, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. So I'll finish out with this scripture. There's a, I got a bunch of different translations in this one thing, so I want to get it out real quick. This book from um, Pastor Mark Hankins. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's our identification with Christ. I'm crucified with him, nevertheless I live. So I want to read a couple other translations of that um, passage of Scripture. Noli translation says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now it is not my old self, but Christ himself who lives in me. Jerusalem Bible, I have been crucified with Christ, and I live now, not with my own life, but with the life of Christ who lives in me. Uh, Laubach, Christ took me to the cross with him, and I died there with him. Arthur S. Way, yes, I have shared Messiah's crucifixion. I am living indeed, but it is not I that live. It is Messiah or Christ whose life is in me. Barclay, I have been crucified with Christ. My own life is dead. It is Christ who lives in me. True, my physical life goes on, but its main spring, in faith, uh, excuse me, but its main spring is faith in the Son of God. I love that. I want to read that one again. Of course, it's Barclay, so you guys know I love it. I have been crucified with Christ. My own life is dead. It is Christ who lives in me. True, my physical life goes on, but its main spring is faith in the Son of God. Its main, like, source is faith in the Son of God. You see, like, that big lake where Melanie's from, there's, like, a thousand lakes in her county, and they're amazing. And one of my favorite lakes to swim in, we get, didn't get to swim in this summer, is called Paul Lake, and it's fed by a spring. The whole lake is from these springs, these natural springs. And it's like all the lakes there are so crystal clear, but it's particularly crystal clear. And because it's a spring, it's particularly cold. Um, but its main spring is faith in the Son of God. So I've been crucified, with uh, meaning I went to the cross, and everything that I used to be, everything that uh, used to have to deal with, used to have to be under, I was taken to the cross with Christ. And I took it there. I said, you know what? I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm living for Jesus Christ. So I went to the cross with him. So I identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. I said when he went there, that was my sin. That was my failure. That was my weakness. That was my inability to produce results. That was everything that doesn't measure up about me. That was really my whole life. Went to the cross with him. And then the distilled Bible. I consider myself as having died and now enjoy, and, excuse me, I consider myself as having died and now enjoying a second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. I like that one. Simply Jesus using my body. So I died, now I get to have a second existence. 
And this existence is Jesus using my body. So same thing, just, you know, in a scriptural sort of way that I was saying is that we're not living for ourselves anymore. We live for Jesus and we let him live through us. So we're still living in the world. We're still interacting with the world. At least we better be because how are we going to reach the world if we're not in the world? So we're in the world. We're not of the world. And we do things differently than what the world does things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word affects us, that your word brings us life, and that your word brings understanding. Father, we thank you that we're not dependent upon our own wisdom or man's wisdom, but we have your wisdom. We have your knowledge. And as we renew our minds, we have the mind of Christ. Father, we pray for each family, each person that's listening to this Father, that you will uh, help each of us to step up a little higher, be a little clearer in your purpose for us and your plan for us, and especially, Father, that you'll give us opportunities in our daily lives to tell people about your son, Jesus Christ, about the life and the hope that we have. Father, I thank you that you've given us words to speak in season at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.